Welcome to Howden's podcast, Fortune Favors the Brave. We all take risks in our everyday life and business is no different. In this podcast, we're speaking to the experts about a topical challenge or issue and what business leaders can do to overcome it. Welcome to Fortune Favors the Brave. My name is Neil Williams and I'm a claims manager at Howden. I'm joined by James Thompson, a principal associate at the leading law firm Mills and Reeve. I'm also joined by my colleague, Steve Ray, who's a director here at Howden. Over the next two podcasts, we're going to be covering off the risks faced by insurance brokers. James, would you like to say a little bit about yourself and and the business you work for? Sure. Thanks, Neil. Well, uh, as you said, I'm principal associate in the insurance disputes group at Mills and Reeve. We're a national law firm, and I spend a lot of my days working with insurance brokers, dealing with claims against brokers and their professional indemnity insurers. Thanks, James. And what about you, Steve? Thank you, Neil. Um, As you know, I'm a director here at Howden's uh, with a background in sourcing professional indemnity insurance for a wide range of professional practices. By way of background, up until 2006, I was a partner in a management consultancy business, which provided risk management services and reviews on behalf of insurers or directly to professional practices to look at the areas of risk and to ensure that the firms had robust controls in place to manage these risks. I think it's worth saying also at this moment that long before the FCA and its forerunner, the FSA, brokers were regulated by the GISC and Lloyd's brokers also had oversight from Lloyd's regulatory department. And in the mid-1990s, the GISC and Lloyd's regulatory were concerned about the profile of some of the brokers and said that they were going to name and shame firms that they felt weren't on top of their controls. And as a consultancy practice specializing in this area, we uh, suddenly got an enormous number of um, assignments to look at the the controls in place within these organizations. And so it gave us a really good background and firm understanding of what goes on within a broker and where the risk controls sit. And I've carried those things forward and into the practices here at Howden in terms of sourcing brokers, you know, insurance. Thanks, Steve. That was really interesting. A regular feature on our podcast is to ask our guests of a risk they've faced and how they've overcome it. Can I turn to you first, James, and ask you? Well, I'm a lawyer litigator, so I suppose I spend every day of the week, you know, calculating risk and advising clients on risk and possibly leads me to be a fairly risk-averse individual. But um, uh, this was quite a tricky question, Neil. And I was thinking back, what have I done that's risky recently? It took me back to the first day of the Ashes at Edgbaston and being asked to go and uh, get uh, beers for five of us and uh, nav- navigate, navigate the steps up and down the Eric Holly stand, uh, <laughs> which, 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 I, which I almost achieved. Um, and you know, my, my tip would be, you know, very slowly, one foot in front of the other, uh, you know, dodge the Spice Girls and the Catholic Cardinal. And, um, and and you should just about make it. Brilliant. Thanks very much for that. What about you, Steve? I can't think, Neil, of a risk that I've taken particularly recently, but I am constantly reminded that back in 1991, I left a well-paid job with a company car and a salary and with a two-week-old daughter to go out and set up my own business with a friend. And my wife did think at the time that I was stark staring mad and... Uh, I have to say it had a relatively happy ending and we had 15 years running a business that was terrifically good fun and I've been able to use some of those experiences in my time here at Howden's too. Brilliant, thank you. Just to give you context, the areas we're going to try and cover off in in the two podcasts are the insurance market for professional risks 
for insurance brokers, just to give our discussion some context, talk about the key areas of risk, which are the areas that really worry insurers and where the claims come from. And then hopefully in the second part, we'll cover off some key risk management pointers and then delve into the claims arena, what to do when you do get a claim and what types of claims are being faced. So without further ado, we'll start with the insurance market. Steve, how would you describe the uh, professional indemnity insurance market generally and more specifically insurance brokers within that? How do they compare with other professions, for example? In order to be able to position any discussion around what's going on in the insurance market, one has to take a sort of wider view. The insurance market's a series of um, relationships with the reinsurers controlling to an extent what happens on the ground in terms of you know the direct insurance relationships. Everything's interconnected. So we can't really look at professional indemnity in total isolation. We have to look at the worldwide events. So we've got some really torrid times out there. We've got war in Ukraine. As many people will know, there's a significant issue around the, the Russians uh, taking the fleets of planes off uh, national carriers, which might at some stage result in a very, very significant loss to the insurance market. We've also got wildfires all across the world, you know, changing climate risks, a huge hailstorm in the US, which has cost five or six billion dollars in the last few months, flooding in Europe, severe storms worldwide and everything else. So this puts pressure on reinsurance rates, which in some stage will be passed on to the primary insurance market. Looking into the UK, which is sort of top, dropping down a level, Clearly, recessionary fears, high inflation, concerns regarding social inflation, which obviously have a knock-on effect into the, into the motor insurance markets and the like. And yet, here we are in the professional indemnity insurance market, and it's not all doom and gloom, because a significant number of insurers, both in Lloyd's and the commercial insurance marketplace, have big new business targets. And in a cyclical insurance market, having big new business targets puts a deflationary pressure on premiums. People are looking around to fulfill their gross written premium needs, and the only way they can do that is undercutting existing markets. So it's not all doom and gloom in the PI market. And moving specifically to the insurance broking market, there will be insurers out there that are looking for new business capacity in that area, which is really a godsend because what we've had is a difficult market for the insurance broking community which was exacerbated during COVID. There was a lot of commentary around whether particular claims might fall to the insurance brokers, particularly as a result of business interruption insurance. We faced in renewals in 2020 unprecedented levels of premium rises, but also exclusionary language from the insurance market, changing of terms and conditions and everything else. And we're now looking at the opportunities to get our insurance broker clients back on an even keel. What about you, James? What's what's the take from your side of the fence in terms of, you know, how insurance brokers are viewed and the risks that they face? I mean, Steve's mentioned a couple of things during the pandemic. What's your view on that? Absolutely. And I think, you know, over the last sort of five to 10 years, the professional indemnity market for for insurance brokers has been relatively shallow and you saw a lot of insurers retreating from the markets and i hope that we will uh, we will see the uh, the tide start to come back in on that in relation to covid in particular it was obviously there was a lot of concern you go back to early march um, february 2020 we had insurers coming to us and asking us what uh, we thought the risks would be for brokers 
plainly there was the business interruption issues that resulted in the FCA test case. And the question was really whether or not, you know, policyholders that ended up not having COVID responsive BI cover would end up being responsible for that. Our advice at the time was we didn't think actually that a broker's liability would extend to that sort of a, a risk. And therefore, uh, we thought that, you know, whilst there may well be claims, because where you've got uninsured policyholders, they will very often look to their brokers. We didn't necessarily think that they would be good claims, and we certainly thought they would be defensible claims. And so it has turned out to be. I mean, there have been claims out there, not on anything like the scale we saw in relation to the test case itself. You, you haven't seen law firms um, you know, farming policyholder claimants to to come and pursue their, pursue their brokers. But what claims there have been have not been pursued terribly aggressively. Certainly, to my knowledge, there hasn't been any litigated claims against brokers. So that's really positive for the for the broking market. And you know, we're starting to kind of you know look behind us now, look back at the the pandemic and um, and see it disappearing into the distance. Of course, claims could still come, six year limitation and all the rest of it. But that certainly is is a positive. Steve talks about the um, sort of the wider sort of geopolitical and economic mm. landscape. Highly relevant. We think about inflationary pressures. You know. Claims of underinsurance are, you know, sort of the, the next big risk for uh, for brokers that are coming up on the horizon, and they are probably a greater threat um, to brokers than uh, COVID claims would have been, because plainly a failure to advise on sums insured probably you know, is going to be a breach of of, of duty and is going to cause um, brokers uh, brokers a difficulty. So, you know, I think we will see some challenges there, and we will we will certainly see uh, claims. But there's been a lot of you know discussion in the market about that sort of training ongoing. So I would hope that good brokerages are you know prepared for for that and are, are dealing with it now and are you know making sure that their clients have got that additional advice uh, that they're going to need to see them through um, this period of intense inflation. And hopefully that will result in relatively few claims against brokers going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the questions around inflation will be significant for brokers. In terms of claims inflation as well, I mean, do you think that that's going to have an impact on 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 rates that uh, insurers are seeking? Back to my earlier point regarding um, insurers chasing down new business targets yeah. and everything else. I think um, there is, to James's point, there is absolute concern out there around you know underinsurance because of inflationary pressures. Mm. We've all seen the difficulties in sourcing building materials and the the cost of you know just the basic raw mm. materials increasing significantly i know and i'm i'm a part owner in a in a small block of flats where i've mm. got a flat and everything else and we looked at our sum insured the other day and you know it's been static for a number of years one of the one of the uh, leaseholders is selling up and the solicitors on behalf of the property transaction are saying you know what are you doing about the sum insured? It looks it looks a bit light, and I think the difficulty is that you know it's incumbent on us. You know, and I'm an insurance professional, and I haven't mm. even thought about this. Uh, we've been back to our broker and said, you know, let's what can we do midterm because that does look a little light. Um, that sort of discussion needs to be taking place. Very often, some of these insurances are of very little value to the broker. So, you know, this is maybe a thousand pound premium. There may be relatively little commission available to that brokering house. They are specialists in that area. But I would have expected some some sort of mail out from them to say, have a look at this. You know, and most most of my colleagues and everything else, when I've discussed this, have unlimited building insurance for, for cost of rebuild and everything else. 
there's a very tiny differential between you know having a select sum insured as opposed to a you know unlimited value. So there needs to be a, a, a discussion around that. Brokers, you know, have the wherewithal to be able to look at these sort of things and make sure that they're giving best advice to their clients. So I think what what we've said in in a number of difficult markets in the past is we'd expect more questions from the insurers, and I think we will be getting more questions around what what broking houses are doing about uh, underinsurance and everything else because it could be a big deal. Absolutely, it could, and it's obviously something that insurance brokers should be look at, looking at on a more regular basis yeah. as well, not just once every two or three years, but every you know six months to year, be looking at the sort of impact of inflation on, on sums insured, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting point, and I'm sure James would back me up. It's, insurance broking is quite unusual the from the point of view that very, relatively very, you know, small insurances can give rise to significant claims. Whereas if we look at wider professional practices, it tends to be the bigger risks that give give rise to the spikes. Whereas uh, here in this industry, it can be those little thousand pound premiums that give rise to a very significant loss yeah. from an errors and omissions perspective. No, yeah. absolutely. And I, I was just going to say, you, you talk about you, your own sort of experience as a, as a property owner. And I, I think, you know, particularly in relation to residential insurances, actually, you will see exactly that issue where you know, premiums are relatively low, brokers are dealing at high volume. So there's a pressure on them, you know, to sort of move move through the business at, at speed and perhaps not give that um, bespoke advice that you might give to the larger commercial um, clients. You're also in a home uh, insurance context dealing with a policyholder that is going to be probably less experienced at valuing their own risk. And so, you know, question marks around, well, what is the extent of the advice that I as the broker need to give them on how to get that valuation? And, you know, other issues around looking at vulnerable customers, the elderly, all of these sorts of things, which will all contribute to, um, you know, sort of assessing what is the sort of the standard of, of care and the level of service I've got to provide to this particular client to insulate me from a, a position where they're going to be underinsured and it's going to be um, my fault. So I think that home ownership is a home insurance is a particular um, area of risk on this. I just wanted to move on sort of more broadly to what we see are the areas of risks for for brokers. I guess in two parts, firstly, what types of work create risk? And then secondly, structural risks affecting brokers consolidation, which we've seen a huge amount of in the past. So turning to you first, James, you know, in terms of what you see more broadly, where are the key areas of risk from your perspective? Is it commercial? Is it binding authorities? What are, what's, you know, driving claims and what's causing insurers yeah. to worry? Well, the majority of claims that I see and I deal with do come in a, a commercial context, mm-hmm. commercial combined policies, that sort of thing, rather than consumer um, policies, mm. um, simply because, you know, sums insured and claims that are declined, policies that are avoided, you know, lead to far higher uh, losses, un- uninsured losses. And so those are the claims that that tend to to land on, on my desk. Um, you know, the issues are perennial ones of, you know, assessing demands and needs, identifying, just been talking about sums insured, you know, sums insured you know, across kind of risk classes is is obviously a key element of, of the broker's uh, job. Um, dealing a lot with um, brokers advising on uh, terms in policies, you know, ensuring that uh, you know, the cover that you think you've placed is what uh, insurers have got in place and, you know, where you've got, uh, you know, exclusions, warranties, conditions that they're flagged and that your policyholder knows about it. I've been seeing plenty of claims that, that deal with those sorts of of issues at the moment, um, both for commercial policyholders and for um, for individuals, for, for consumers. 
the other thing I, I think I would say is that you know there's this question around avoiding a risk of dispute with insurers because even where uh, insurers are taking a, a sharp point um, and may not be truly entitled to decline a claim or, or avoid a policy, it is a broker's duty to ensure that you have placed cover with sufficient certainty to avoid that dispute. So you know, you really need to be you know kind of work, working on that sort of like contract certainty. Point. And again, come back to you know ensuring that what you think you've placed is what you've placed. There are no ambiguities. They're going to give rise to an argument down the line, and that the policyholder knows what their obligations are um, under the policy. Because those sorts of claims, you know, claims for uh, avoiding a risk of a dispute with the insurer, you might you know in the end be able to get insurers to pay the claim, but you can still be on the hook for costs. And if it's a significant claim that ends up being litigated, arbitrated, then those costs can be significant um, too. Excellent. Thanks, James. And what about sort of volume business? Have you seen many cases involving, say, systemic failures where you, you know, you've got a huge volume of business and an error is made um, you know, across that book of business? Have you seen many cases in that kind of area? We do. I think one of the issues with, with volume business is, of course, you know, at, a, at a sort of corporate level to get your practices right. You know, one of the issues is around uh, changes in wordings. So, you know, mm. where, where, where wordings are tweaked in some way from year to year, mm. um, that actually the organization understands where the changes are so that they know the cover that they are placing and what is being sold. Because coming back to my point moments ago, you know, brokers dealing at volume do not have time to read wordings for every single um, policy that is, uh, that is placed. That's sort of an organizational responsibility really. So that can become a problem. If something is missed, your claim comes in, uh, we didn't spot that you included um, that exclusion um, when, the, when the wording was updated at the, at the turn of the year, that, that sort of a thing. So that can be a problem. And you know that really goes to, if you are operating a high volume um, brokerage, you need good systems in place to ensure that you can um, avoid those, those sorts of mistakes. Yeah, I've certainly seen that happen on some of the claims I've dealt with. And what about binding authorities? I've certainly seen a couple of significant claims where um, brokers have breached their binding authorities. Is that something you've seen much yeah, recently? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I and I, I do work with um, with with uh, brokers operating as as, as cover holders um, and you know, ensuring that you understand the you know, the the extent of your authority is absolutely key. You know, it's like any sort of um, contractual relationship. Mm. You know, you understand what you're being paid to do and what you're not allowed to to do. And you know, the key to that always is know your authority, but also have a good relationship with capacity providers so that, you know, you know your referral points and you understand, you know, when insurers will want you to uh, refer uh, back to them uh, and and all the rest of it. Um, so absolutely, don't see a huge volume of, of claims um, on that front, but they are out there and they are a risk if you are engaged in, in cover holding. Yeah. And of course, you can get significant claims arising out of them. Yeah, today, absolutely. And, you know, the insurers have always had a a particular interest in binding authorities because there were historically there were some spectac- spectacular ones and when I started out in the 80s and things although a lot of things were smoothed away because of the personal relationships from a broking house to an insurer um, you know a glass of wine and a <laughs> lengthy afternoon in a club or something could could smooth away those issues they did take some some points and there were some significant breaches yeah. and i think that stays in underwriters minds yeah. so i i don't i don't think they're there to the extent that they were i think people are much more careful you know they're very careful to put in place you know what 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 levels do we need to get to before we're notifying what are we what are we talking about not taking on responsibility that 
that wasn't in the purview of the underwriters at the time. That's certainly my sense as well, that it was more of a historical issue. And um, yeah, and when matters get beyond a certain level, you're not going to sort them out with a sensible conversation, <laughs> are you? So, um, but anyway, just just moving on from that slightly and addressing this mainly to you, Steve, in terms of sort of the amount of consolidation we've seen in the market, I guess there are risks, threats and opportunities as part of that. I mean, you know, in terms of, you know, you get a bigger structure to work as part of, but then you've got the intrinsic risks of integrating businesses. So obviously we have some some knowledge of this ourselves. <laughs> we have been a, quite an aggressive purchaser of UK businesses. Um, I think it's right that you know one uncovers some some um, areas, and I'm not talking about us particularly, but I mean in the widest context, you do uncover when you you bring in a smaller business into a larger organisation. I mean any large organisation is on the spotlight of the regulator. Or in the spotlight of the regulator. And therefore, you know, we have to have our house in order. We have all the requisite controls. We have clear lines of responsibility, um, you know, lots of sign off and everything else. If you're purchasing a smaller broker, then you very quickly need to bring them up to speed. And the, I mean, the, the deal with, that we've done within Howden is to make sure that, you know, as soon as we integrate a business, there is no question, these are our standards. You will work to these standards immediately. Within the wider marketplace, it is quite interesting. You know, there are, like any professional practice, there are some brilliant smaller brokers. You know, they really button down what it is that they do. They don't step out of their areas of expertise and everything else. So from a risk perspective, it's minute. But there are some smaller brokers that are, you know, particularly in recessionary times when people are looking around for income that may be tempted to go down a particular route and say, well, I've got a client. They're now looking for some other insurance, which we don't have expertise in, but they'll try and do it themselves because there's some earnings there for them. Whereas, you know, ideally one would be looking to partner with a specialist firm, push that out to them. You can, you know, as a small broker, you retain some earnings, you can retain the client, but you bring in the specialist to help you. And to a certain extent, we also see that, you know, within, within teams, uh, within an organization. I, historically, I've been involved in areas where, you know, a marine team get an inquiry, they're keen for the business, so they do something and it, it might have something to do with light aircraft or something, but the client is the same person and they've got a great relationship with them, but they've missed all the nuances of what's going on in the aircraft uh, insurance marketplace. So it's it's all about, you know, the, the the temptation of moving in and picking up some extra income and everything else. But uh, the the M and A space, I think you know, is is really interesting because, you know, certainly for for one of those consolidatory businesses, you know, we're we're working very hard to bring everybody up to the standard that we expect immediately, and I suspect that's happening within the other uh, consolidator aggregator growth businesses out there. That can sometimes take a little time to work its way through there as you work through the business, et cetera. And of course, you've got those sort of intrinsic challenges of taking on any business systems integrations, which, as we all know, can be very, very painful at the best of times. <laughs> and, you know, consolidating books of business, et cetera. And then, and then the people side of it as well, sort of integrating people on a, on a wider um, basis, particularly when you've got multiple offices over potentially a large geographical area. It can be quite difficult to instill a sort of uniform culture and, and you know, a wider sense of the business. Well, you know, though, this, Neil, because we were talking about a different situation the other day. But I mean, we see this across professional practices everywhere. Yeah. Through, um, you know, M&A activity, you can often end up with a group of people who just don't buy into the new culture. So they become a massive risk to the organization immediately. And that's going to be happening in insurance broking houses up and down the country. 
Uh, it's probably happening in law firms and accountancy practices. There's a lot of M&A out there as well. But, you know, as an organization, one has to get on, on top of that straight away. Make sure that, you know, it's an engagement. It's a cultural thing. Um, if you can't get those people to work to, the, to your standards, then they are not part of your business. I was just going to add to that. I was speaking at a conference in Europe last month, and um, one of uh, the lawyers from Ireland was talking about exactly this issue, you know, consolidation, and how competition authorities there had been very keen to, um, you know, to take a fairly light touch approach um, to some of the um, the activity because from a sort of a risk management and regulatory standpoint, uh, they really saw benefit in a lot of these smaller brokers and some of the real micro brokerages being drawn into um, much bigger businesses um, and that you know, generally and Steve you're right what you say is the same whether you're insurance brokerage law firm accountancy whatever it is typically you will have you know kind of a better uh, standards or, or better ways of managing you know the risk in in, in your business the, the, the bigger that business business is so I think generally the risk management landscape you know the uh, consolidation um, situation that we've got is probably positive and you know, will leave smaller brokerages to be perhaps in the future more boutique more specialist thinking about Lloyd's and and, and, and things like that um, so horses for courses and people 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 re- really knowing their really knowing their business no I'd very much agree with that and I, my, my sense is that there's a lot more consolidation to come so watch this space anyway I think that's a really good moment just to pause thanks very much to James and Steve for joining me for this part of the podcast and we'll be back soon with the second part of our podcast on insurance brokers thank you for listening to this episode of Fortune Favours the Brave from Howden to hear more episodes and subscribe to our channel search Fortune Favours the Brave on your favourite podcast app